Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. I'm not sure there is a better episode to approach the fall season with than the one you are about to listen to. My guest is Monica C. Parker, a world-renowned speaker, writer, and authority on the future of work. The founder of Hatch, a global human analytics and change consultancy, she is here to talk about the fabulous book she has written, The Power of Wonder, the extraordinary emotion that will change the way you live, learn, and lead. Among other things, Monica discusses the five W's of wonder, wonder as both a noun and a verb, why daydreaming can be a good thing, which you'll be happy to know that, and how cultivating wonder leads to a happier and healthier life. This is a fun and enlightening conversation that I hope will inspire you to put down your phones a bit, and as Monica suggests, take a wonder walk. Enjoy. Well, Monica, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Joanne. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted to have you. I, I really, really enjoyed your book. And um, I think there's just, it's so apropos for this time and place that we're in in the world. But I always like to start my podcast with asking my guests where they're from. And I think in your case, it's particularly fascinating because you have such a um, unusual background. Is that the right word? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's multivaried, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, it's very funny when people ask where I'm from because it's not a straight answer. So I was born and raised in Atlanta. Um, then I moved to uh, Cape Cod for a period of time um, and was married to a fisherman. Um, and then I moved to Belfast where I got my master's degree. And now I split my time generally between London and Nice. And I've done lots of different things, everything from being a professional clown to an opera singer to a homicide investigator for the Department of Justice working to get people off Florida's death row who we believe didn't belong there. Wow. And now you run an analytics company? Yes, I ran. It's called Hatch, and it's a human analytics and change consultancy that specializes in the future of work. In the future of work. And how? Let's go right into it now. So you wrote this book, The Power of Wonder, let me get all the things here. The extraordinary emotion that will change the way you live, learn, and lead. How did that come to be? What was the impetus for this? So my entire work history has sort of varied as it seems. The red line has been that I have generally helped people through change. So big existential change from working with parents who have kids with disabilities to working with people on death row to working with people in corporates who are losing their job, which is a very existential blow. And what I started thinking was, how, how do some people manage change while others are sort of you know, taken down by it? And I started reflecting on my own experience and then also some of the research and I found that people who held their world in a great sense of wonder were really more resilient. They were more able to deal with what life threw at them. And so I went down a rabbit hole and four years later, we have a book. Wow, 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 wow. So one of the things that really struck me, well, there's a lot of things that struck me in this book, but you, you wrote in the book about our culture's obsession with happiness 
and how that can actually make us unhappy. Can you start by talking about that a little bit? Because I, I think it all connects in with this. Well, it did all connect in with the wonder. Sure. I think a lot of people, and certainly in the um, the Western world and anybody who uh, is involved in sort of the self, self-help world, happiness seems to always be the end goal. And I think that we've actually created in a lot of environments what uh, what's been referred to as happy chondriacs, where everybody has to be happy. It seems to be what we're always seeking. But the reality is, is that when we look at our world, we can't look at a war in Ukraine and be happy. We can't look at COVID death numbers and be happy, but we can be in wonder. And the reason for that is that wonder is a duly valenced emotion, meaning it has some positive elements, but it also has some negative elements, sort of this, you know, fear and trembling. And in that is a real richness and also resiliency, whereas happy Happiness is only positively balanced. And so it's really not something that we can pursue as a steady state. Then the second element is that the research shows is we're just so bad at knowing what makes us happy. It's Mm -hmm. it's called it's called affective forecasting. And we miswant a lot of things that we think will make us happy. And then when we get there, we go, oh, that didn't do it for me. <laughs> and this is why, because our brains just aren't very good at it. And so I spoke to one researcher who was an expert in happiness, and she said she stopped chasing happiness and now chases wonder because she believes that it is it's more realistic, it's more achievable, and it actually is is better for us. It keeps us. It keeps us more grounded. I never heard that term "happy chondriac" before, <laughs> but I wrote that one down because I I do not want to forget that. Um, and it's I think it's I think it's really true. Um, and you say that cultivating wonder is the antidote to this. I believe so. Yes. The reason is, is, you know, I mentioned the duly valenced uh, emotion bit because I think that that is, it's really helpful. It's important for us to be able to have both positive and negative emotions and sometimes at the same time. Um, And I believe that this is the antidote to also sort of that move fast, break things world because in order to be in wonder, you have to slow down. You have Uh to be very present. And those are things that are sort of the antithesis to a go, 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 um, you know, production porn sort of, we saw a lot of that during COVID, like, oh, if you're not, you know, learning a new language during COVID, you're doing it wrong. And other people are thinking, gosh, I'm just trying to like, you know, manage my head not exploding. So I think wonder is really something that's more marinating. It's, it's more contemplative. Um, And I just think it fits uh, a greater degree of human experiences. Yeah, it sounds it's more reasonable too when you actually as you're talking that's all, the word reasonable kept coming into my head. And it seems to me that um our addictive phone culture is contributing to this. I mean there I it's not just me, there's data on that. There's tons of data on especially what it's doing to young people, but I I don't think it's just limited to young people. I think that when you talked about that search for happiness is that constant what are, is everyone else doing and why is my life not comparing to it? And it's counterintuitive to 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 cultivating wonder. Am I right on that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm. I do not demonize the technology. I certainly think that it has a lot of potential, especially yes. if we use it the right way in order to connect, to create empathy, to um, to learn more, to be more curious. But one of the challenges is that the way that especially social networks are built is that they want you to have a a level of surface curiosity. So you're just bouncing from one thing to another, which is giving you these little hits of dopamine. And it's almost like a drug and you're just moving on and on. And of course, it's this clickbait. And as you do that, you don't give yourself the opportunity to become deeply curious about anything 
And you also are distracting yourself in the most profound way. And one of the things I talk about is that it's really important for us to daydream. And I remember being, and it's going to date me, I remember being a kid and sitting around or even waiting for a dinner companion and not having your phone to, to, to entertain you. And you would just think. And I think that we're losing some of that daydreaming time. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And when I was reading the section about the daydreaming, I was because I'll really date myself, but I can remember sitting in the back seat of the car when I was a kid. And, you know, I don't know what we had, maybe an AMF, maybe, maybe I don't even think we had FM at that at, when I was really young, but you would just stare out the window. You know, my father didn't like to talk when driving. So there wasn't a ton of conversation and it was special. It was, there was, a, there was that opportunity to do it. And it's so rare to do it or see anyone doing it. All you have to do is ride the subway. And now, you know, everyone's got their heads in their phones is multitasking is doing at least two things at once. Absolutely. And daydreaming in sort of a strange way actually helps keep us present. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a few different types of daydreaming. There's the kind where we imagine a future and doing something terrible. That's not very good for us. And there's one where we sort of perseverate about something that's happened in the past. And that's not particularly positive. But the kind that is very good for us is called positive constructive daydreaming. And this is where we imagine future scenarios for ourselves um, that are, you know, very very elaborate, creative, whatever it might be, but it's something it's where we're putting ourselves in a future state and it's really good for our brains. Our brains like it. And it's one of the primary ways that children learn. And of course we tell children, stop daydreaming. I mean, I used to always, you know, I do wonder, it would be the school report. Monica was daydreaming in it. I do wonder what she thinks about. <laughs> um, and it's just, but I think it's so positive and we are, I, I believe, sort of forcing that out of children. And I would like us to embrace it and allow it uh, to flourish because I think it can have real positive impact. You can, if you can find that teacher who wrote that, you can say, I was daydreaming (laughs) about the day in the future when I was going to write a book about this. (laughs) There you go. And and show, show how it all works. So you identify the five W's of wonder. Let me see if I have this right. Watch wander, whittle, wow, and whoa. So I have all those right? Yep. Um, I, I, there's not enough time on this podcast to go through each one. And of course, we want people to buy your book because it really is definitely worth a read. Um, but I do want to touch on a couple of them. And I do want to touch on watch because one of the things that really struck me was when you wrote, people can be sighted, wide-eyed, looking, but not seeing. And I really, I really love that because I, I just think, can you talk about that? So I guess I'll just briefly say sort of the how I came up with these five W's. Wonder as a word is sort of a shapeshifter. So you have wonder as the noun to wonder, which would be curiosity. And then you have wonder, uh, excuse me, that's wonder as a verb, which would be curiosity. And then you have wonder as a noun, which would be sort of a catalyst for awe. And I wanted to link those two concepts. And so it starts with watch, which is openness to experience, moves into curiosity, which is wonder, whittle, which is presence, and then wow and woe, which are the two phases of awe. So watch is openness, and it's about an openness to experience, which is one of our personality traits. It's set generally by the time we're about 25, half based on our genetics, half based on our experiences. 
but when I'm talking about openness, it's also, it's an openness to ideas and it's an openness to being able to hold two competing ideas in your brain at the same time. That's really important for us to be able to recognize that things are not black and white. And this is another one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about wonder-based teaching, because I believe that we're incentivizing children for the single right answer. And mm -hmm. in that, then they will grow up to be adults that believe there's a single right answer. And that means they're going to be intolerant. And so being able to hold these conflicting ideas in our head at the same time, appreciating gray and nuance is really, really helpful. And I think that's the key to the first step of the wonder cycle. And I call it a cycle because every time you experience one of the steps, you're more likely to experience them in the future. And so I see it as sort of this upwardly additive cycle. I couldn't help but smile when you were talking about the one right answer, because I do teach at NYU. And as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, and it's marketing that I teach. And one of my constant lines is you ask five marketers the same question, you're going to get five different answers. And it's a really difficult concept for my students to get that there's not always just one right answer, that there mm. is that there is that gray area. Because again, we've been trained like, oh, they this there's just one everything. It's either black or it's white. But I think most of life is really gray. Mm. Not to get too philosophical, but um, I, and you are already answered my question about the noun and a verb. So how you see it. So that was my next question. You're ahead of me. Oh dear, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's great. Um, and you talk about this idea of learning to chase wonder. Mm. So everything else feels smaller. And having just gotten back, um, as I said earlier, from a trip to France, which now I find out that you're, you know, living in Nice part time <laughs> at least half the year. Um, yeah, I was real. It happened to me like every day while I was there. There was this just wonder because there is just so much that has survived so many centuries. It's not even just years. And, and I felt that feeling of like just being so much smaller, but can you talk about what you mean by that? How, how we chase it so that we get that feeling and, and why it's important? Sure. So one of the, one of the, the two phases of awe, which I call wow and woe there, the first, the wow is what researchers refer to as vastness. And this is where we experience something that is so vast, it makes us feel small. And that could be physically vast, like seeing the Mediterranean in Nice. It could be cognitively vast, like considering that people have been coming there for millennia. Um, it could be socially vast, where you see your child take their first steps, but anything that makes you feel small. And then after that, it changes the structure of your brain. And so what we're trying to find are ways that we can honor that smallness. And that can be as simple as seeing a, you know, a beautiful fall leaf that's just beyond explanation. It can be from prayer or gratitude practice. Um, it can be from a wonder walk. So anything that helps you feel like a component part of an enormous universe is what will help you get closer to wonder. So I was going to ask you about the Wonder Walk later, but we'll ask now. So can you talk about what that means and how you do that? Because I, I really like the idea of it. Sure. So when people started researching wonder and awe in particular, it used to be believed that it would be what the scientists called rare and fleeting. You know, it was you can only see the Grand Canyon once. You can only see your kid take their first steps once. 
ones. But as the research has um, has continued, they're finding that you can actually find wonder in the quotidian, in small little day-to-day actions. And so what makes a wonder walk a wonder walk is you decide it is. That's really what it is, Joanne. It's a fascinating sort of um, study in priming. And so scientists took two groups of people, sent one on a 20-minute walk in nature, sent another on a 20-minute walk saying, you will find things that you'll that will give you a sense of wonder on this walk. The wonder walkers came back and they had uh, lower uh, blood pressure, low pro lower pro-inflammatory cytokines, and they were less stressed for the week. Whereas the regular walkers, yes, they were in nature, but they were ruminating about things of their day. They weren't really present. Whereas the wonder walkers, because they were looking for something that would give them a sense of wonder they were more present. And this is just a great example of why when people write down their goals, are they more likely to to achieve them? Because our brain simply puts more cognitive resources towards it. So if you say brain, we're gonna find things to feel wonder on this walk, then you will. And that's really, it's as simple as that. It's best if it's out in uh, nature and if you can find something physically that makes you feel small. But if you can't feel small, then go small. Look at the little details that you would rush by usually. usually and that should give you a sense of wonder. It's so interesting. Um, we keep going back to France here, but um, part of my trip was a writing retreat in in Condom, a real town, if anyone's listening, in the Southwest France. And one of the exercises one day is we went to the market in Lourdes and it was, you have three euros, go find something for just three euros, which of course I'm like, how am I going to do this? But it did. I, I didn't think about it at the time that that's what the activity was, hmm. was to create, to cultivate that sense of wonder. But how do you get people to do this and put down their phones? I mean, one of my pet peeves these days is, and I saw it again when I was away, I see it every day when I'm walking around New York is that rather than, you know, live your life, people are taking pictures of it. Hmm. I, I mean, and that there's, seems there's actually some interesting research that says if you take a picture, you're actually outsourcing that memory. And so your brain doesn't even bother to remember it. And so it becomes harder to remember things because your brain says, oh, well, the phone's going to remember it. I don't have to. So it really does start to, to mess with your long term memory. Um, but the wow. challenge is obviously I can't get people to put down their phone, but my <laughs> goal is for people to recognize the benefit mm-hmm. and feel that that benefit is great enough that they would at least try 10 minutes of daydreaming or maybe a wonder walk where you leave your phone um, at your house or whatever it might be, or maybe for safety, you turn it off um, <laughs> and carry it with you. But um, the, to, to recognize that being present, and that's the the whittle, this uh, pairing back of all our, our extraneous noise that occurs in our, our brain and in our sphere, that that's the key to taking flight into the state of wonder and especially into awe. And if we don't allow ourselves to be present, we will just rush by so many opportunities for wonder. And so I think start small, you know, small little moments of putting the phone down. And I will tell you, I'm not good at it. As I said in the book, I am I am not a wonder Jedi master. I am on this journey with everybody else. But I recognize that, that the phone is, yeah, is really something that takes us away from being present in our environment and therefore will will lead us to missing opportunities for wonder. Well, I, if I remember correctly, you wrote about this in the book is that people have trouble being with themselves. They do. They- 
but but to be fair, this has been much before. I mean, you can look right. at there are comments going back to yeah, um, very you know hundreds of years where people say, oh, uh, you know, a man can't be alone with his own thoughts. Um, and this is this is not something that is just because of our phone. We tend to want to quiet the chattering mind that occurs mm-hmm. in our head, and we do that with a lot of different things. The challenge is, is that we want to try to quiet that chattering mind through some sort of practice, presence practice, what I call slow thought. So that can be meditation, that can be prayer or gratitude, it can be narrative journaling, but you want to do something that is quieting that little monkey brain, um, but allowing you to still stay present rather than fleeing to some sort of mechanism of escape. Yeah, you, um, one of the the exercises you had in there was to ask the street a question. Can mm. you talk about that? Yeah, that's a wonderful exercise. It's uh, it's called street wisdom. It's a open source uh, mechanism for taking sort of your own kind of wonder walk. And it's the, again, to a certain degree of exercise and priming. Some people who want to make it more spiritual can, you know, it's the secret that you're drawing these things to you. But Really, it's that you pose a question to yourself before you go on a walk, and it tends to be in a city because there's a lot of input that you can observe. And in that, as you're considering, you look for the answers in your walk. And what you will find is that your brain will alight on things and connect dots. And maybe someone else will look at it and say, that sign is just a sign, Monica. But for you, that sign is saying something. It is communicating to your brain and allowing you to connect dots. And so again, it's really an exercise in presence and using some mechanism to keep you from ruminating, to keep you moving forward, both physically, but also mentally. So, so I'm just thinking about something because I do walk and and I do write. So sometimes I the only way I can get to the next spot is just to go for a walk. And I won't necessarily go by myself. I'll take a podcast with me. It's just what I do. I don't know what that says about me. But sometimes even within that, that idea will come because I've got caught up on something else. Is that still cultivating wonder or am I just because I'm still listening to something else? I'm just curious. Well, what you're doing potentially depends on how engaging what you're listening to is. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if you're sort of listening to it as almost like a little, you know, fly that's buzzing in your ear, but actually mm-hmm. your brain in the background is thinking, um, then what you're doing is sort of, yeah, connecting those dots. Okay. But I would say that there is probably greater power in trying to take that walk absent of any other input. But you love your podcast. And so I would never deprive you of that joy, but. No, I mean, I, I will, I will definitely try it, but I do. It's as you're saying, and I'm thinking, Ooh, like, will my walk get longer? Am I going to, am I, is that what's helping me to do that? It's, it's, it is kind of fascinating. And I agree. I mean, this has been going on since the beginning of time, but I think we've got so much technology now that it makes it harder. So mm. um, let's go back to those five elements because you did, I talked a little bit again about awe. And and I will tell you for me, as I read your book, awe used to be synonymous to me in my own head with wonder until I read this. Mm. And it is for a lot of people. And that's sort of that noun, right? The the experience of awe. But of course, we've all known the the expression, oh, I wonder. And so I really thought we needed to connect the curiosity to awe. And the reason is, is because curiosity, people who are higher in trait and state curiosity are more likely to experience awe because 
we are exploring. That exploratory behavior allows us to see more, to feel a sense of awe about. But that was one of the reasons I wanted to sort of construct this definition as well, because I think even if we tell people that they can find awe in the quotidian, Mm -hmm. they're still going to feel that it is something that perhaps they're waiting to alight on them or something Mm -hmm. that is difficult to achieve. But I wanted them to see the on-ramp and the on-ramp is so much easier. It's just starting with being open to new ideas. Anybody can do that. Anyone can start right now being open to new ideas. You can start being deeply curious as opposed to, you know, shallow curiosity or surface curiosity. You can do that just by exploring something you hadn't before that's meaningful. And so these are things that will get you closer to the big bang of awe, but also have their own benefits. And so I really wanted people to see the on-ramp to awe as opposed to just describing it as this standalone entity, because I think, again, it's more achievable. It's something that can be cultivated. It's not something that is just some some thing out there that you're trying you're trying to get to. So if there was one thing that you could leave our listeners with before I get into my little lightning round here that they could do to start to cultivate this sense of wonder today. I think I would have to go with the slow thought practice. And if you're already meditating, then this is another great reason to do it. But don't feel that meditation is the only way. Um, Again, you can narrative journaling, gratitude, nostalgia is even a fascinating slow thought. That's sort of like daydreaming in the past, but very positive, sort of a mix, a little bit, you know, bittersweet, as Susan Cain calls it. And so nostalgia is another great way. Anything that helps slow that chattering mind. I think that's the first step. The chattering mind. Okay. Well, I could talk to you for hours, but we're not going to do that. I'd do like to finish up with a quick lightning round before um, we end this podcast. So your favorite social network, I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if you even have a social network now because you're spending so much time wondering, but I do, I would have (laughs) said it was Twitter before the new overlords. And so currently the, really the only one I'm engaged in right now is Instagram. And I do think that it is tends to be a more positive emotionally, as long as you don't get caught up in sort of the physicality of the beautiful people. Yeah, no, I agree. I still think Instagram is the happiest place. Um, even when people are talking about politics and things like that, it, for whatever reason, there's a lighterness, lightness to it there. I'm not quite sure why. Something people would never guess about you. You might have said well, that I wouldn't already. say the homicide investigation, but, um, <laughs> but there you go. Well, how about I'm legally blind. That's something that a lot of people don't know about me. All right. Uh, and and looking, people don't know that I can see you, even though that they can't, but um, I would never have guessed that. Okay. The last series you binged. Oh, the last series I binged. Okay. So I'll give you the guilty one and then the more erudite. So my <laughs> husband and I just finished watching Black Mirror, which is fascinating mm-hmm. um, and, you know, very sort of challenging mentally. But I will tell you my favorite junk food TV is Below Deck, which is just <laughs> the silliest, but, you know, it's on the water and it's just fun. So, yes, it's Below Deck or Black Mirror. Uh, you're talking to someone who watches Emily in Paris. So I'm I not judging. I'm not judging go. at all. My brother loves Below Deck, by the way. Um, you just got to have some junk food now and then. Y- you do. You do because it balances everything. Um, the last book you read outside the of your own. <laughs> that I read um, was probably The Sum of Us by Heather McGee. So it's about how racism 
hurts everyone because mm-hmm. in racist policies, what ends up happening is that, you know, public good ends up being removed for everybody. Um, but I also do love a great uh, murder mystery. So I've just started a new series that are called Investigator Gamache. He is this guy that um, lives in Montreal and so much of it has French in it, and it also has food. Every almost every scene is about him eating while he's trying to solve these mysteries. So that's a oh. new new series I've gotten. I think Louise Penny is the author. Oh, she's really good. She's written yeah. a lot of stuff like that. Um, well, I would expect that. I would think that kind of taps into your your former your former job there. there <laughs> as a go. homicide detective. A food you can't live without. Oh, a food I can't live without. Cheese. Yeah, uh, in all forms. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. I ate a lot of cheese while I was in France and it was fascinating to me how it didn't congest me the way it does here. And I'm I'm craving it here, but every time I have it, when I have it here, it's like, oh, I don't feel good in there. I'm convinced that the bread and the cheese, they're most of the food because it doesn't have additives. You really, you don't gain weight. You don't feel sort of that. I lost weight. I didn't understand. I didn't, I really didn't. I still don't understand it. Um, And lastly, what motivates you to get up in the morning, my dear? What motivates me? Well, I guess my why is that I want to make work suck less for people. I think (laughs) work sucks for a lot of people. And I want to make better work for people because I believe with better work comes a better world. And so Mm -hmm. that is something that I'm really focused on is helping people find meaning in their work lives. Wow. That's fantastic. A great way to end it. How can people find you? I will put all of these links into the show notes so people can buy your book, which I'm sure is on every place, but what else, where else can they find you online? Sure, they can find me at monica-parker.com and then on social at Monica C. Parker. And also I have a weekly newsletter so you can sign up and, and get little wonder nuggets once a week. I call it wonder bringers. I love that. I love that. I did. I, I don't know how I missed that when I was on your website, but I'm going to go sign up right now. Thank you so much. This has been terrific. Thank you, Joanne. It was amazing. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. Mm-hmm.